Well, good morning. This is just something I'll trip on. We are continuing a series this morning called Living in HD. And I like this series a lot for a couple reasons. One, it gets us into the, into the Word. And we're, we're actually kind of, as a church, having a Bible study in this series uh, in the book of Philippians. And uh, I like the concept of high definition. It reminds me of this. The fact is, as we go through life, there are some things that we don't see very clearly. Uh, it seems like we, we maybe, um, we just need better glasses. And I can relate to that because uh, when I was born, I had a severe astigmatism along with some nearsightedness. Um, but you don't know that when you're born. And so I just kind of went on with my day until kindergarten. I went to get an eye exam. And they asked me which way the big E was pointing. That was kind of the first test. And I didn't see the big E. And they said, I think you need some correction. So I went to the eye doctor, and on the way home, got, got fitted for some great glasses. They were very thick. And on the way home, we were driving by uh, our neighborhood, just driving by some trees. And for the first time in my life, I was six. For the first time in my life, I realized that trees had tops. I really didn't know that before that day. And um, I feel like that's what this series is about. Living in HD, living a life where we see things as they were intended to be seen, a life of clarity and intention and purpose. And uh, maybe some of you don't have horrible eyesight, but in life, sometimes I don't see the whole picture, and sometimes the things that I do see are fuzzy. So this series is about seeing things as God intends them. And last week, we talked about living a life of humility, and Paul uh, brought a great message about humility, specifically talked about Of all the things in life that might blur our vision, pride uh, is one of the most significant. It's maybe the worst one. Um, And to me, from last week, uh, I wrote down the most amazing thing that we learned was that cultivating a life of humility actually attracts God's gaze and God's grace. There's actually something we can do as people here on earth to attract the grace of God. And uh, I don't, that's just hard to comprehend. I hadn't thought about that that way before. Um, each week we've been having a memory verse and Paul's been asking somebody to stand up and he embarrasses them and he gives them a, a prize if they can remember the memory verse. And I like that, so let's do that. Does anyone remember the memory verse from last week? Here's a help. Jason, do we have the memory verse from last week? Philippians 2, 3. Does anyone remember the memory verse from last week? And is willing to stand up and say it. And, and this isn't fair, but my wife's here. Sarah, will you stand up and read that verse? And the reason I really wanted you to read that is because this is Valentine's Day chocolate. I don't know what I'm going to do in second service. I'm going to set this down for next time. All right. Today we're going to talk about living a life uh, of compassion. But before we do, um, please pray with me. Well, Father God, we want to see things as you have designed them to be. We want to see things as you see them. So be with us this morning. And God, may the words of of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts as a church here... uh, 
be pleasing to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians 2, as we continue our study. It's Philippians 2, verse 19. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the side screens. And if you need a Bible, we've always got them at the info hub. Here we go. This is Paul writing a letter to Philippi, and he says this, If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him. And also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't from far away. God, thanks for your word. So how is this scripture about compassion, you might ask? Well, let's talk about it. First of all, we have to define compassion. And um, when I need to define something, I go to dictionary.com. And I found this. The compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So you've got a feeling of deep sympathy or sorrow for someone in misfortune and a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. Digging a little deeper, the New Dictionary of Christian Ethics suggests... That compassion is actually from two Latin words that mean suffer and with. So to show compassion means to suffer with someone, to enter into that person's situation and become involved in that, in that person's suffering. That's not a uh, theoretical attitude, but practical involvement. It involves doing, not just feeling or thinking or saying. Throughout the Bible, we have lots of evidences of compassion. We have lots of examples of compassion. It begins with our Creator, God. Remember that we are created in His image. And if you go to Psalm 103.8, I think it will be on the side screens, describes God as this, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. It's a, we have a compassionate God. He gave us a Savior, His Son, who was compassionate, a compassionate Savior. Um, there are several examples in the New Testament of Christ's compassion for us. Running through just a few, Matthew 14, 14 suggests this, that when Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now this story goes on to say uh, that not only did he heal their sick, but there was a bunch of people, like 5,000, and they were kind of hungry. Uh, and so he miraculously fed them. 
fed 5,000 people uh, with five loaves of bread and two fish. Matthew 15, 32, just one chapter later, seems like this all occurs again. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. And again, the story goes on to say, this time there were 4,000 folks. He had seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, and he fed them. A little mental bookmark for us all as we go this morning. Uh, file away that when Jesus took compassion on people, he not only healed them, but in these examples, he fed them. So just put that little mental bookmark. We're going to get back to that in a minute. In addition to these examples of what Jesus did, he told great stories. He told parables that, that taught people. And one of his most famous parables is really all about compassion. And we're going to read that together this morning. I think you've probably maybe all heard it, but let's read it together uh, so it's fresh in our mind. It's from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law, some translations say a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered this, You must love the Lord God, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. I love it when Jesus does this. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I do love it when Jesus answers a question with a question. This time he answered a question with a story and then a question. And the question was this, who was a neighbor to the man? And then he said, yeah, go, go and do the same. So what I think this story says is we are called to be neighbors to all of those folks that God places into our life path. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, and I heard this story when I was very young, and I've, I've heard it lots in my life. Um, I've heard several messages on it, and it's a fascinating story about the relationship between Jewish people and Samaritan people, um, about what a priest would have been doing and what the temple assistant would have been doing. Um, 
But the bottom line is this story always makes me think of compassion, of action for people who need help, uh, for those people that are far away. Strangers that I've never met before that God might put in my life just today as I'm going home. Um, I need to be ready to be compassionate to those folks. For example, uh, over Christmas we were uh, encouraged and given an opportunity to, to give to an organization called Living Water. And uh, we accepted donations for that organization and uh, we got a report this, the, this last month that says where exactly our funds were used. And if you look, uh, this, is, this is us here at 1702 Pleasant Street in Noblesville. And our funds were used uh, really literally on the other side of the world in Liberia. You imagine how long it would take to fly there if this takes this. I mean, this wow. Liberia is a long way away, right? We've never met these folks, but they are clearly in need. No accessible clean water. We got the report back that actually took some pictures um, of the wells that we um, helped to build. The fact is they, they had some wells, but they were inoperable. So once again, they were living a life without access to clean and healthy water. So that's what the wells l- did look like. And with the equipment that we, uh, that we provided, I mean, that's just pretty neat. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Yay, God, you know? Big deal. So the, these folks have clean water because of your generosity. And I just want to say thank you. Um, their life is forever changed because of uh, what you all were able to do. And that is what I've always taken away from the, the Good Samaritan story is that we, we heard of people in need. We don't know why they're in need, um, but we know they need something. We've got more than we need and we give to them. We took compassion by suffering with them, giving up something that we had so that they could have something. Here's the thing, the part when I was preparing this message, the part that kind of got clarified for me, a little more HD for me, is that um, I've got other people that are my neighbors too, and for some reason I've just let this go right over my head, that I've always seen that Jesus drew this circle of neighbors as everyone in the world that you could possibly meet, and I forget that my neighbors are also the people that are sitting right next to me at work or at church or living right next to me, my physical literal neighbors in my neighborhood. I don't know if you know your neighbors where you live. People seem to be obsessed with their neighbors. And, uh, you know, we like to gossip about our neighbors. And now you can do that online. There's a place called RottenNeighbor.com. And if you have a neighbor that you just don't like, you can actually post comments about them on the web. And then when people are looking for a new house, they check out the neighborhood and they see that... uh, you know, they've got weird people around, or at least according to some other weird people, they've got some weird people around. So I don't know if any of you are on the website. I didn't check. Um, or maybe you have neighbors like these, the kind of neighbors that when you go out of town, you feel like you could probably trust them to watch your apartment. Elaine? Ha, 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 ha.
Elaine! Jerry! Jerry! Oh, hi! Welcome back. How were the shows? Great, I had fun. Where's the TV? Where's the VCR? What? They were stolen. Stolen? When? A couple of hours ago. The police are coming right over. Stolen? Someone left the door open. <laughs> you left the door open? Oh, uh, Jer- you know, I, I, I was cooking and I, I, you know, I came in to get the spatula. I left the door open because I was going to bring the spatula right back. Wait, you left the lock open or the door open? The door. <laughs> the door? You left the door open? Yeah, well, I was going to bring the spatula right back. Yeah, and? Well, I got caught up watching a soap opera. Bold and the Beautiful. So the door was wide open? Wide open. Excuse me. Where were you? I was at Bloomingdale's, waiting for the shower to heat up. Look, Jerry, I'm sorry. I'm... You have insurance, right, buddy? No. How can you not have insurance? Because I spent my money on the Clapco D29. It's the most impenetrable lock on the market today. It has only one design flaw. The door must be closed! With friends like that, who needs enemies, right? Well, the point is that we've got neighbors in close proximity to us, too. Now, I know in my life, uh, sometimes I have neighbors that I don't really like to talk to. Um, Sometimes we have neighbors, um, well, we don't really want to know much more about what's going on in their life because we don't feel like they have anything in common with us, right? There are folks I... I really wouldn't invite to come to church because if I did, they'd want to sit next to me. And I, I know that about, about myself. And the fact is, sometimes it's easier um, to hear about needs that are far, far away that I'm not connected with than it is to find a need close to me and suffer with that person. So let's get back to our reading from Philippians. Um, talk a little bit about Paul's relationship to these two men that he decides to spend two paragraphs of his letter commending. First, let's talk about Timothy. I think it's clear that Timothy is Paul's best friend on earth. Um, He mentions him more than any other individual. One of the other translations of Philippians 2.20 that we read um, says, I have no one else of kindred spirit like Timothy. I mean, kindred spirit would mean like-minded, but it's more than that. It's like same-souled, kindred spirit. I mean, I think it's safe to say these were very close friends, BFFs, if you will. I think further evidence of how close they were comes, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy that are, that are in the New Testament. And in 2 Timothy, in one five, Paul writes this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. How many of your friends know both your mother's and your grandmother's first name? I think it narrows the list way down. Author uh, Charles Swindoll likens Paul and Timothy's relationship to a pretty famous Old Testament close friendship 
um, David and Jonathan. And I like the description of their relationship found in 1 Samuel. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved David as himself. All that to say, a rare friend, a close friend, best friends, Timothy and Paul. Another close friend, Epaphroditus. That's a hard word to say, and I would suggest using pappy. So on behalf of the church in Philippi, I think pappy brought gifts and money to Paul. If you see um, Philippians 4.18, it talks about the fact that uh, the church in Philippi had to send some things to Paul because he was in need. And so they chose uh, Epaphroditus or Pappy to send that to him. Uh, Paul describes him as a brother, a fellow soldier, um, a close brother. Those are admirable traits in a friend. They had a common purpose. They had common suffering. And he, Pappy risked his life to serve with Paul. The bottom line of all this is that these were close friends of Paul. Timothy and Epaphroditus showed Paul compassion during his time of need. Uh, when he's wrongly imprisoned, uh, but he is imprisoned, he's chained to a guard 24 7, um, kind of on house arrest. When you hang out with a guy like that, that's chained to a Roman guard all the time, I'm thinking when you go to the grocery store, they watch you a little more closely. You know? I think that they risk their reputation, they risk their health, they risk their lives um, to help their friend in need. The point here is this. We have both ends of this spectrum. On one side, we have the stranger on the side of the road or the stranger on the other side of the world that we've never met that's in need. And we are called, clearly, Jesus calls us to be neighbors to those people. And on the other side is this. Best friends. The people you're very closest to in the world. Clearly, we're called to have compassion. And we have an example here with Timothy In Epaphroditus, we have an example of being compassionate to your very best friends. So stranger, best friend, and everything in between. We're called to be neighbors to those people. Now the memory verse for this week is not from the, uh, I guess, the assigned reading for the week. I don't know how else to say that. It's not from uh, the Timothy and Epaphroditus paragraphs. But it is... A summary, I think, of those two guys' attitudes, especially toward Paul. Um, but here it is. It's Philippians 2.4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I think the quick summary of that verse is, be compassionate. So I'd like to spend my last few minutes up here today talking about how to cultivate a life of compassion. It's always hard for me to be instructed to do something and not to know um, a little bit of a how-to on how to do that. I think this is difficult. I think compassion is difficult given our selfish nature. I think in today's culture especially, um, it's unnatural to be compassionate. So for most of us, this is going to take work and intentionality and practice. Um, I do want to recognize that I think there are some people that are naturally gifted this way, or at least they have gifts that would make them better at being compassionate or more natural for them. Um, For example, Sarah, my wife, cries all the time. She just has a really tender heart. And um, the last time that I came home to her with a face full of tears, she was reading a book about people who were growing up in Afghanistan. And although it was culturally and um, it was accurate, I think it was an accurate portrayal, it was a fictional book. um, 
And it just broke Sarah's heart. She just has such a tender heart. Um, Some of you are like that. And I'm glad because your tender heart will allow you better eyes to see the needs of others. But even folks with a tender heart aren't necessarily spurred to action. Remember that compassion requires both things, sympathy and action. So how do we cultivate a life of compassion? A few practical suggestions. One, because it's unnatural, because it's going to be hard and and not something that we tend to do on our own, pray for it. I pray this week that we'll be given eyes to see the needs of others. Um, That that we would be spurred to action when we do see it. Um, That our heart would be a compassionate heart. I know that I need to pray that in my own life. It's not going to happen uh, without God's help. Two is to study the Word. As we've discussed this morning, there are numerous examples of, uh, of times in the Word where we are sensitized to, made aware of, and given examples of compassion. And I think through study, we can become more sensitized to the needs of the world. And third, get around some people. Keep from isolation. Um, Facebook is good. Email is pretty good, right? We need to stay connected in whatever ways we can. And technology has made it so much easier to be in relationship with people in our lives. But lunch, dinner, that's better. Looking at Christ's examples, um, I thought it was interesting. He was often, well, in all the examples that I found, he was moved to compassion when he was with people, when he was among the multitudes or with some individuals. Now here at Genesis, we've got men's groups and women's groups and small groups, um, we have lots of opportunities for you to get in relationship with groups of people. Um, and I just encourage you to do that. The Info Hub uh, will be open after the service. And if you want to just find out some more information about how you can get connected to some other folks here at Genesis, um, I'd encourage you to do that. And after preparing the message, I guess my conclusion has been that it's not enough for me to find, to wait It's not enough for me to wait to find the injured man on the side of the road. I can't only wait for those opportunities to help people far away, people that I can throw some dollars at uh, to help them. Now, those things are vital, and I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. Um, We are called to be neighbors to those people, and in that way, too, like, like we were to those folks in Liberia. My point is that's not enough. A life of compassion is a life where we seek to have eyes to see all of our neighbors and to see the needs of all of our neighbors, not only the ones that have websites devoted to helping them, um, but to our physical neighbors too. To the person at work who I can tell is just having a bad life season, or to the family in the neighborhood who, well, they obviously need some help. To those people in my small group who are going through tough life events, um, I'm in a small group, and maybe, maybe some of you are too, does anyone else have this problem? They, I hear their prayer concerns and I pray for them, but I only meet with them once every two weeks. You know, I mean, how, how compassionate am I being? The economy is all over the news and Indiana's unemployment rate stuck somewhere at about 8.5% right now, which I think means there's probably like three dozen people who come to Genesis regularly who are looking for work. Money's probably getting tight. Could I have some compassion for those people? Could I know them first and then... Could, Could I take them a pizza? I'd say, could I cook for them? But could I take them a pizza? That's what I'll do. Could I invite them over for just a night out of the house? How can I show my neighbors 
compassion this week? Or a better question might be, who in my life do I need to be a better neighbor to? One potential action step this week. Uh, One way to start to form that habit of service, of servanthood, to cultivate a life of compassion is related to an insert that you have in your bulletin this morning. Uh, Bethel Lutheran Church is actually has a food pantry and it's dedicated to serving the needs of folks right here in Hamilton County. Our neighbors, our physical, literal neighbors. Um, there's a lot of them that need some help right now. And so there's a food pantry dedicated to doing that. So here at Genesis, uh, once a month, we're going to take a collection to help stock that food pantry. Would you suffer with these people that need food? Would you go out this week, spend out of what you've got, buy some non-perishable items, and bring them back next week? Um, Let's decide as a church that we're going to be compassionate, we're going to suffer with those folks. And I thought that it was interesting. Remember the mental bookmark. I thought it was interesting that Jesus fed the people that he had compassion for in our examples this morning. And now we have an opportunity to do the same. A closing thought is this. Jesus loved us so much and he had such amazing compassion for us. And he felt an urge to action. He actually came to earth in the form of a man and suffered with us. He didn't come as a wealthy person. Uh, He was not rich. He was not pampered. He died with no possessions to his name. And when he lived, he didn't know where he was going to sleep most nights. He suffered with us. And then he took it one step further. And he suffered for us. He took our burden. He took our sin. He took our suffering upon himself. And he died for us. And that is the example of compassion that we have. So in addition to praying and studying the word and getting among people, number four, consider the cross. Consider Jesus' gift to us because when we do that, we have the perfect example of compassion. And I guess before the band comes to pray, if you've never considered that before or if you'd like some help talking through that, if you've never let Jesus be the Lord of your life and you want to talk about that, we're going to have some folks here after the service and I'd just like to talk to you. I'd hate for it to go another week if that spurs on your heart. Um, So let's just pray. Father God, you are so gracious. You are so compassionate and you love us so much. And we're thankful for the example that you give us in your word. We're thankful for your son and for your servant Paul and his friends that they could show us that we are called to be neighbors. So God, I pray that this week you would give us, as a church and as individuals, that you'd give us eyes to see what you see, that you'd break our heart for what your heart breaks for, that we would be able to be compassionate to your people. And you drew a picture that that's everybody in the world. So God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this reminder. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. And everybody said... Amen.